in South Africa. And he heard about riches, diamonds, and he thought, man, I want to get in on that. I want to be that way. So the man sold the property. He had a big farm, a lot of land. I mean, if you you know, you could talk to Paul Moore. He's from South Africa. He can tell you how big farms can get down there. It used to be before they come across the border and taking them over. But this man had a huge farm, and he heard that there was money in diamonds, and so he said, I want to be rich. I want to be increased with goods. I want to be wealthy as I can get. So he sold everything he had and set out to find his fortune. And after many years, searching and never finding anything, he wound up broke, destitute, and died a poor man. Problem was, he looked in the wrong place. Because on that farm that he sold, they found some of the biggest diamonds that they have ever had. And right under his feet. Makes me think of the parable of the prodigal son, doesn't it? Here a young man come to the time when, you know, he was said, Hey, I'm growing up. I'm gonna do my own thing now. Dad, you you know, you promised to give us our fortune. And so Dad said, Okay. And he gave him everything that was to be his. And he set out for his fortune. And if we read through that parable, you find that down the line, he wound up slopping pigs. And he himself didn't have much. And he thought, I'd rather be back and be a servant of my father where I had something to eat and a house to live in. And he turned around and went back. What I want to bring about is do we, as parents, and I'm speaking to you parents, you young parents, and just because you might be a, as they call them, Q-tips, an older person like me, and so many of you, we're not out of this too. It fits us too, I think, down the line. But how many of us have overlooked the diamonds that are underneath our feet? We had a whole little group of them right here. These are diamonds. These are vast jewels. They're under our feet. Sometimes what we do is we set out to find some other fortune. A job, big house, big cars, a lot of things, don't we? And yet the diamonds are there under our feet. Do we really take the time? And you young parents, older parents, grandparents, see, I can say to myself, because I'm a grandparent, a great-grandparent. I've got little diamonds, and do I really recognize that those are precious jewels? If you were loaned a Stradivarius, if you were, you know, violinist, you know, and somebody loaned you a Stradivarius, and you knew it was, you know, here's an instrument that's probably $10,000. Would you just pitch it aside? Would you beat on it? Let it collect dust, maybe kick it around, let it get wet and destroyed? It was loaned to you. How would you treat that instrument? Would it be just, ah, oh, well, it belongs to somebody else. Or maybe... You're into cars, and somebody gives you a a Mercedes or a Lexus or that other little race car, I forget what it is, a Ferrari, not a Ferrari, but anyway, a real expensive one, you know, some of these $100,000 cars. And they said, ah, you can borrow that. Go out and drive it around and show people how good you look, you know. (laughs) I had a daughter that liked to drive a car. She liked to look good not looking good as driving the car. But if you had a, 
a $100,000, $200,000 car, how would you treat it? Would you abuse it? No, you would probably, knowing that the owner would be expecting you to deliver that thing. Oh, my speaker ain't working. Okay. Maybe we didn't just change the batteries, huh? <laughs> All right. I guess I'll really be wired with two of them on this. Yeah, you wouldn't take a, a Lexus, would you? You wouldn't take a $100,000, $200,000 vehicle and just abuse it. Because you know that that owner is going to come back and say, I want it back in the same condition I gave it to you or better. So you'd take good care of it. What about our children? You know, our children are only on loan to us. Do we take the care of our children, our grandchildren? So I don't want you, those that are my age and older. I'm getting to be one of the old ones out there. Only a few, a few only older than me. <laughs> We're getting to be a smaller number on the upper end, I think. <laughs> but great-grandparents. Do we recognize that our children are only on loan to us? Turn to Psalms, Book of Psalms, chapter 127. We sing somewhat on this. Psalm 127. It says, Except the Lord build the house, the laborers, uh, they labor in vain that build it. You know, if, if it's not God's hand involved in this, you're, you're really not doing much, are you? It's really in vain. Because it's going to come to nothing. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman watches, but in vain. So that's why we ask God's guidance and direction upon us and upon our, our feast and upon our activities. Because we want God to be taking care of it. It is vain for you to raise up early, to sit up late, to eat bread of sorrow, for so he gives his beloved sleep. So it's a lot of vain. If we don't have the right motivation and the right understanding, then it's, we're, we're missing the boat somewhere down the line. He goes on and says, Lo, children are the heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. So here God is telling us that our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, they're our heritage. There's what God is giving to us. There's something that we as parents have to recognize. It's a gift giving to us. It's like loaning us a trillion dollars. More than that, because you can't buy a child. If a child dies, you can't bring him back. You cannot replace that child. There is no replacement. So it is a heritage, a reward. Though children are a heritage, and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, and they're the... They're the they're the fruit of the womb. It is God's reward. It's his reward for living and trying to live his way of life. It is a reward. Do we recognize that? How precious these little children are. You know, we sit there, and I'm standing back there singing and watching them sing, and just it, it's just so enjoyable. Because I see those children as great-grandchildren, some of them. I look out at you. And I would venture to say that 75% of all of you sitting out here are in the category of one of my children or one of my grandchildren and in some cases, great-grandchildren. 
Because I do have a daughter here that's as old as a lot of you that are parents. And I have grandchildren here that's as old as a number of you teenagers. Well, I'm not a new teenager. As you young children. And then when I look at it, I can look out here and you know I have a grandson that's as old as some of you 25-year-olds, 26-year-olds. So you see, I see a reward out here for me. And I see you as part of my heritage too. Because it's a blessing to be able to do that. As arrows are in the hands of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Parents, think of that. Think of your children as arrows in your hands. There, it's a tremendous privilege, a tremendous blessing. And sometimes we're like the man who sought for diamonds when they were under his feet because we haven't spent the time to see the diamonds that are right there beside us. Happy is a man that has his quiver full of them. Oh, I can say how happy I am because I'm sitting with eight children, 21 grandchildren, and soon to have two great-grandchildren. So, I can say i got a pretty full quiver. But you teenagers, you know, you're looking at a future when you're going to have a quiver too. And you're going to have arrows when he starts one or two, unless you're lucky and get four or five at one time. <laughs> Maybe that's lucky there. Maybe that's a, that's a good trial. But it's still, look at the diamonds that you get all at one time, you see. That's great. So happy is the man that has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemy at the gate. Can you imagine? You have an enemy coming up, and you have a quiver full of young men, young women. They're going to turn around. They're not going to want to harass you, are they? Because they're your heritage, and they love you as a parent. Chapter 28. Blessed is everyone that fears the Lord, that walks in His ways. So here's a command to us that if we, if we truly love our Father, then I'm talking to all of us now. I don't care what our age group is. Whether we're two, six months, these two little babies are so precious. And, you know, I had my hands there on Cameron and she's moving her head around and just so warm. It's just, it just a thrill because sometimes in my own great-grandchildren, I haven't been able to hold them all the time that I want. So here's a great-grandchild that I could pick up and hold and have an opportunity to have a blessing on that child. So blessed is everyone that fears the Lord, that walks in all His ways. So as we walk in His ways, we can enjoy those children. For you shall eat the labor of your hands. Happy shall you be, and it shall be well with you. Your wife shall be a fruitful vine by the side of your house. So here he's talking about if we walk in all the ways of God, then our wife will be a fruitful vine. It is a privilege, it is a blessing, it is a reward to have children. Now, we don't always look at it that way. Like I mentioned, I think in that sermonette, how <clears throat> my brother's wife's kid, those parents don't look at their child as a diamond. They treat it as <clears throat> a piece of junk. <clears throat> But they, are. <clears throat> but they are. Our wife is a fruitful vine. I can say my wife was a very fruitful vine. And we enjoyed our children. 
I know that with my oldest daughter, I have two oldest daughters. When we first came into church, she was just one year old. So basically, she grew up in the church. And all the rest of them came along while we were listening and serving God. So my wife has been a fruitful line. <clears throat> your children, like olive plants, are around your table. You know, an olive plant gives you the oil. And, and I love black olives, and my wife loves the, the green olives. And so if you have a plant that's just abundantly flowing out there, it's pleasing. It's great to have that, isn't it? As parents, do we really recognize our vines, our fruitful olive plants? Do we see the diamonds and the jewels and the arrows that are sitting there around our tables? Behold, that, that thus shall the man be blessed that fears the Lord. He says that if we truly fear him, he will bless us with children. Our children are a tremendous blessing. And sometimes it's hard to recognize that and to go along and recognize that, hey, these are truly blessings. They really are blessings to us. In Genesis 48, 8 and 9, you see where Joseph, speaking to his father, was admitting to his father these were blessings. These two children... Ephraim and Manasseh was a blessing to him. He recognized that. Maybe that's something that somewhere down the line we need to think of. Hey, that's a blessing. I know as a parent, I didn't always look at eight children as a blessing. Sometimes I thought it was a burden, but, you know, I had eight diamonds. I had eight arrows out there who produced a triple quiver of arrows for me. <laughs> Did I always look at it like Joseph looked at it when he spoke to his father and said, this is a blessing. God blessed me with these children. How about it, parents? Do you look at your children? You go home at night and you look at them saying, this is truly a blessing to me. It's hard sometimes. Because we have our own ideas. We have our own thoughts. We want to go out and find some other blessing. We have thoughts of, you know, when I was young in the church, I admit I put more time in church activities after my first two. You know, when the third one come along four years later, you know, and then two years and two years and two years. And, and sometimes you get so involved in your, your activities, your thoughts, what you want to do, your job of building a house or moving or whatever it is. And what happens? Your children seem to slide under the wayside. That's not to be. That's not what God has really wanted from us, is it? Let's go to First Samuel. I'm going to read this one. First Samuel, verse 26. Here's where Hannah had wanted a child. I guess her husband had other women. They had children, but Hannah never had a child. And she really wanted a child. She really wanted a child. So here in verse 26, And she said, O oh my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman that stood by you here praying unto the Lord. She was referring back, telling Eli, that before this, the year before this, several years before this, that she she wanted a child, and she was praying, and Eli thought she was drunk. But she really hurt. You know, women want children. And sometimes men don't want children. I mean, they look at it as a burden, you know. 
I gotta go out and work and feed these little rugrats and take care of them, you know. But that's not what God looks at. Now here Hannah really wanted a child, and so she prayed, and God gave her a child, and now here she's back talking to Eli. Said, For this child I prayed. She said, Look, Eli, when you said I was drunk, I asked you I was asking God for a blessing. And this is that blessing. Uh, For this child I prayed, and the Lord gave me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore also I lent him to the Lord. It is interesting, she says, I lent my child to God. In reality, people, husbands, fathers, grandfathers, husbands-to-be, maybe, all that you are having with a child is a lent child. God is lending you a precious little child to bring and nourish up to serve Him. So basically, all we have is children on loan. They're far more precious far more valuable than any physical, mechanical thing that we can purchase. Whether it be a house, job, instrument, whatever. Our children are far more precious than that. And they are only on loan. So the one that loaned it to us is expecting something more out of us than what we're sometimes willing to give. And I can say that because I live this life too. When I have children in their 40s and children just 30. When I have grandchildren that are 26 and grandchildren that are just a year and a half or not quite a year and a half. And when I have grandchildren, great-grandchildren rather, that are just a year and just about to be born. So I've lived this life, and I know as a husband, as a man, sometimes we don't recognize the responsibility and the loan that's been given to us and the care that we have to put forth as parents. And if you're a grandparent, you're not out of this. Well, sometimes we like to say, well, I'm a grandparent. My kids did these things to me. I'm going to get back at them. I'm going to spoil the mess out of them. (laughs) But maybe that's not right either. Maybe we should take the time and help them in the right way too. Because these are on loan. That's it. They're just on loan. How are you treating the loan given to you? We know the Scriptures tell us that if you borrow something and it's in your possession and something happens to it, you are liable for that. Now, if the owner is with you and something happens, then it's a different story. But in this case, the owner's not here. He's loaned us our children. We are liable, we are responsible to God, to the Father who loaned the children to us, to take care of them with the utmost care possible that we can put in. Hannah recognized that. She recognized that she had had loaned. And she was saying to Eli, I am now loaning my child to you for God's service. Tremendous responsibility to Eli because now he has to train that child to serve the Lord. Had to. That was a responsibility put upon him. Do we always recognize that responsibility? It's hard. I know it's hard to take those precious things and train them in the right direction. Proverbs 17. Children are a gift of the Creator God. They're blessings to us. They are 
reward. There are jewels that we have to take care of. They're literally on loan. Proverbs 17, verse 6. Children's children are the crown of old men. You know what I'm saying? They're telling us as grandparents, it says, your grandchildren are a crown to you. Your grandchildren. That means we got to look back and think, how did I rear my child? How did I teach my child? And is my child teaching my grandchild so that he becomes a crown for me? Not like the man that went out here just recently and shot a bunch of children. That is a, that's not a crown to his parents. It was a, a sad note for his parents. So children's children are a crown of old men, and the glory of children are their fathers. So your children are your glory, and our grandchildren become our crown. How do we treat the loan, the gift given to us? We have a responsibility. And God gives us gifts. Children are gifts to us. But what does God think about rebellion? You know, he gets after us, doesn't he? He really comes down hard on, on people. And what if your child rebels? Does God come down on you? Well, Ezekiel 18, you know what that says, but we'll go there anyway. Ezekiel 18, verse 1, The word of the Lord came unto me again. What mean you that you use this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge? Oh, so here's parents get discouraged and they say their children are going contrary. As I live, says the Lord, you shall not have occasion anymore to use this proverb in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sins will die. So if You've done your part, like I said with this man who something flipped in his mind and he went out there and took the life of five little girls. Is his parents guilty? No, God says the soul that sins. So young people, teenagers, children, babies, God says, if you go contrary to my way of life, then I'm going to hold you responsible. Provided that your parents have spent the time recognizing that you are a jewel and spent the time teaching and training and showing you the right way. She held back there in Proverbs 17. Go back to Proverbs 17 again. So, God looks down. He doesn't say that it's necessarily the Father's fault. Because He goes on to show that if the Father teaches you the right way and you go the wrong way, God's going to hold you to responsible. And if, the, on the other hand, if the Father goes contrary and you are seeking young people, if you are seeking to do God's will, and your parents go contrary to God, he's not going to hold you responsible for their problems. He said, the soul that sins will die. Proverbs 17, verse 25. A foolish son is a grief to his father. Now think about that. Young people, children, little boys, little girls. He says... Here, a foolish son could be a foolish daughter. Foolish children are a grief to the father. And bitterness to her that bore you. So when you become foolish and you do 
things that you've been trained not to do and you do it foolishly, it's a grief to your parents. Children sometimes wind up getting drunk. They wind up stealing. Uh, we were in town a couple of days ago. We were at the uh, um, sports warehouse and somebody was stealing it. Here he was outside in handcuffs. He did a foolish thing. Did a real foolish thing. Because they have cameras. They see all those things. And so here he is outside by the police car, spread out, trying to make sure he don't have any weapons on, handcuffed. That's foolishness. You don't want to find yourself in that category. You wind up in jail. And I know people that have done that. And after... A time or two, they realize that's not where you want to be. But when you get put in jail as a young person, it is a grief to your parents. It doesn't just affect you. Young people, it affects your parents. It affects your grandparents and your great-grandparents and your brothers and sisters. So it's something that just continues to go out. So here God says that it's, a, it's bitterness to your mother. I've seen mothers cry because their child did something foolish and be put in jail. And it really hurts. It really hurts deep. And maybe you don't think about that. Oh, you're out there doing your own thing and you know you're great. And you, whether you get drunk. And, I, and I've seen Young people, young, 20-year-olds, 20, between 20 and 30-year-olds get drunk and get put in jail. Parents. But it didn't just affect their wife. It affected their children. And it affected their parents and their grandparents. Because now they face it. And they feel this pressure on them. Did you do that? You raised this child and be put in jail like that. So it does affect. It's a far-reaching thing. Far-reaching than you think. Verse 21. He that begets a fool does it to his sorrow. You don't want to raise foolish children, parents. You young people that are coming along and haven't got any children yet that might have some, you know, provided there's enough time left and you have children, you don't want to raise a foolish child, do you? He that begets a fool does it to his sorrow, and the father of a fool has no joy. It's not joyous. It hurts so deep and tears come out. Maybe you don't see them, but they're internal. Go back to chapter 13. Chapter 13, verse 24. He that spares his rod hates his son. <laughs> In other words, if your child is acting foolish, God expects you to direct their steps so that they're not foolish. Too often we can go into grocery stores or any place today and we see rebellious children, foolish children. And it's probably because our society has come to the point to say, you cannot correct your child. If you do, you will hurt them some way, mentally. Oh, come on. They're mentally hurt. They're mentally destroyed when you let them go off on their own path. God says, you spare the rod. He that spares the rod hates his child, hates his son. God doesn't hate us. He corrects us. How many sermons has God come down on us for doing the wrong thing? I don't care what it is. It could be 
within child rearing or it could be in the foods we eat or whatever it is. You know, since uh, this little group came together, God has been correcting us, spanking us time and time again. Because he hates us? No. If he hated us, he would let us go like the rest of the world, wouldn't he? If he turned his hand off and said, hey, let them have their own way, then we could say, yeah, God hated us. But that's not what it says. He says, if you refuse, if you neglect to spend the time with those jewels that are on loan to you, then you hate them. You don't have any love for them. But he that loves him chastises him whenever he needs it. A lot of times. But you don't do it in, in hatred. I had to go in to, to the school one time because I had a son that fell asleep on the school bus. And somebody thumped him on the back of the head. And of course, you know, being a human, you jump up and and he should have been a little bit more cautious, but he decked the boy and <laughs> laid him out. <laughs> and he kicked him off the bus. And I had to go in there and I said to the principal, you can't do that. He'd be missing school. So I corrected him with a board, you know, on his rear end. And then I loved him. Because, see, sometimes what we do when we correct our children, we do it in a negative fashion. It's you're wrong, and you're not going to live in fire out of them, and then let it go. But if you're a wise parent, and you're correcting your child, you sit down with them and say, you know, I hated to do that. That's what God does to us. I hated to do that. Just repent. Just turn around. And, he, you know, he says, he has mercy. Wasn't it David that said, I'd rather be corrected by God than by anybody else? Because God is full of mercy. So, when we correct our children, do we have mercy? Do we sit down and say, you know, I really didn't want to do that. But, because we have certain rules and regulations and you've neglected to listen, I, I had to do this. But I really love you and I really want you to do it this way. So, correcting a child in the right way is a good thing. It's the only way. It's the way that God does it. And he constantly has to correct you and me, doesn't he? Constantly does that. So, here... He says that if you spare it, you hate him. You hate your kids. And you don't really hate your children. I know that. We love our children, but we don't love them like precious diamonds, do we? But he that loves him will correct him, will nourish him in the right direction. Let's go over to... Chapter 29. Proverbs is full of a lot of things about our children. Proverbs 29. Here verse 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom. So, not only does it teach them the right direction, but it gives wisdom when you correct your children. God doesn't say you take a club and beat them to death until they're bloodied and they finally die as has happened time and time again. He says the rod and reproof give wisdom. But a child left to himself brings his mother to shame. We can see that so many places. That a child that hasn't had the loving correction brings shame to their parents. And it hurts because we didn't, as parents, maybe we didn't really understand all that we should have in the right way, in the right manner. Let's go back a couple chapters, 23. You see, God doesn't like rebellion. God wants rebellion done away with. You know, he had his first instance of that when Halel first of God's creation, who gave his child, 
Halal, everything, the most beautiful of God's creation. And one day, he walked up there and sent himself a sea of glass and said, how beautiful I am. Look at the power. Look what I can do. And he rebelled against God. So, God knows what rebellion is. And he knows how deeply it hurts. Chapter 23, verse 13. Withhold not correction from the child. For if you uh, beat him with the rod, he shall not die. So he's, so there's, he's, he's kind of giving us a little criteria in there. He says, you don't beat him to death. You know, I've been spanked with boards. I've been spanked in school. Didn't hate him. But I know that nowadays they say if you spank a child, the child's going to hate you. Well, more likely they will hate you more if you don't correct them. If you don't show them that you really love them and you really want them to do it the right way. So he tells us you, gotta, you have to correct them, but not kill them. <laughs> Take the time and show them right. Go back to 14. Chapter 14, verse 26. Chapter 14, verse 26. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. In the fear of God. So when you properly understand what God is all about, and you recognize the power and the might and the love, there's confidence. And the child and the children shall have a peace a place rather of refuge. They, they'll know that you really love them. They really know you love them. The fear of the Lord is the foundation of life to depart from the snares of death. So, to our children, have we spent the time teaching and training them in the right path to do the right things in the right way? Sometimes it's kind of difficult, isn't it? You know that as parents, I'm going to parents a little bit. You know as a parent that uh, when you rebel as parents, you don't do things the way God wants. And that means correcting your children in love, teaching them and training them and bringing them up in the nurture and care of God. So when you as parents rebel against God, say, I'm not going to do that anyway. I don't want to teach my children. Why should I teach my children? Why should I? Maybe you don't say, why should I teach them? But maybe you don't teach them the right ways. You don't teach them the way you should. And you rebel. And you refuse to follow God. You know your children are going to be punished along with you. That can happen. It has happened in the past. In number 16, you can read about that. Here was three men that rebelled against the Creator. They didn't want to do it the way God had said to do it. God wanted the whole nation. He had a family coming along. He wanted the whole nation to love Him and do it His way. But some of them didn't want to. And what happened? It's about Dathan and Byron, who were firstborn, and Korah, who thought he was as good as Aaron, and ought to be better than the rest. And what happened? In their rebellion, you as parents, think about this. If you refuse to go God's way today, no, maybe the earth isn't going to open up like it did at that period of time, and everything that pertained to those people, wife, children, animals, all went in the ditch and all died. But think of it today, you as parents. Maybe you don't want to do it God's way. We've been hearing that. The tribulation's coming. You could find yourself and take your children with you into the tribulation. We heard how it was pointed out that they might take some of you people and some of you young women having 
about to have a baby, is not doing it the way they want, and taking a sword and slicing you open and taking out your child. Or you'd rather where you'd be eating children because the starvation would be so fantastic, so intense in the cities, parents will eat their children. It's going to happen. It happened before. It will happen again, only this time it will be worse than it's ever been before. Parents, are you doing it God's way? Think about that. How about grandparents? Do you love your children and your grandchildren enough to say, hey, you're making a mistake. That's not the way God wants it done. You need to turn around. You need to, to realize that if you're not turning around, the tribulation is coming. I don't want you to miss out on a fantastic opportunity to be a part of the bride of Christ or maybe our little children going into the world tomorrow as that first generation to live in a society that is peace and love and joy and long-suffering, you know, the fruits of God's Spirit will be abundant at that time. Every family will have their own vine and fig tree. We're not going to have these conglomerations of cities where people like a bunch of rats are held in one spot. No, we're going to have our own vine and fig tree. And our little children have that opportunity in the future to be part of that. Are we as parents going to deny that to our children? Because if we rebel as parents and not listening to what God has to say to us, we can be responsible, and as grandparents the same way, to be responsible of having our little children, these precious little children, go into the tribulation. It is not going to be joyous. It's going to be the worst thing that's hit since the beginning. Do you want that? Or are you going to make the changes? We have a responsibility as parents. So what do we do then? How do we train? When do we start training our children? What age do we start? Twenty? Is that when we start to train our children to serve God and do things God's way? Sixteen. Ten? Five? When do we start? As a child, I can remember, I was taught a lot of things at five years old. I taught how to write my name. I mean, if I can learn to write my name, can I not learn to know something about God? At three, I can't remember much back then. Sometimes that's pretty vague, you know, the older you get, the vaguer things get in the past. But, you know, we were told, this. I mean, not you young people, but all of us Q-tips, we can look back and say, you know, we knew about Santa Claus, and the tooth fairy at two and three years old? Well, is that any different than today? Do we take the time to teach our children about God? And my two oldest ones, in the, in the scripture, I wonder I might get to it, but there is a scripture that says you train up with a child in the way he should go and he will not depart. So I've got an oldest daughter here. I spent a lot of time when we first came in, from the time she was one year old, when we started attending church. And we spent time praying and studying and, and all this with them. And my oldest daughter's here. You know, that's a tremendous joy to me. It really is. I can be on a high to know that what God says, that if you train a child right, they're not going to depart from God's way of life. Are we training our children right? Do we wait till they get 
10, 12, 14, 18 years old before we start training in God's way? Or do we start as soon as we can? Because nowadays, a little child going into kindergarten needs to know his numbers. Well, if they can learn to count and write their name and know who their parents are and where they live, they can also learn something about God. If we take time as parents to teach them. Go back to First Samuel. Back to Hannah. Actually, it's past Hannah. First Samuel, chapter two, verse eighteen. And notice this. But Samuel ministered before the Lord, being a child, girded with a linen ephod. Moreover, his mother made him a little coat and brought it to him from year to year at the Feast of Tabernacles. She brought him a new coat year to year when she came up with her husband to offer offer a sacrifice yearly. Samuel was a little child and he was serving God. A little child. The other day we heard about Josiah. He was a king. Was he an old person? No, he was eight years old. At eight years old, he was able to learn how to be a king. Learn how to do things God's way. He was trained in those things, wasn't he? Jeremiah, chapter 1. How old? Shall our children be when we begin to show them God's way? Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Before I formed you in the belly, I knew you. <laughs> so here is a baby that God knew because He knew who He's going to put there. And before you came forth out of the womb, I sanctified you and I ordained you a prophet unto the nations. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I can't speak, for I am a child. Jeremiah said, Hey, I'm just a child. And God said, But I made you a prophet before you were ever born. So when do we start teaching our children? So when do we start spending the time with these little jewels that have been given to us? Do we wait till they're an adult? No, we have to start at a very, very young age. Luke chapter 2. How about young people? Do you know God? So you're five years old. Do you know God? So you're eight. So you're ten, twelve, fourteen, twenty, thirty. Do you know God? Luke chapter two, verse forty-one. And now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was twelve years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew it not. He's twelve years old. Of course, they figured he was with the rest of the people, the rest of their clan. He's only 12 years old. But they supposed him to have been in the company. And when the day's journey, they sought for him 
among the kinfolk and acquaintances. And when they found him not, they returned back to Jerusalem seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days, <laughs> he'd been gone three days, he'd been without his parents. What has he been doing out there? Stealing and all these other things? No. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst, midst of the doctors, both learning them and asking them questions. Twelve-year-olds? Can you do that? Do you know God enough as a twelve-year-old to ask questions of Daryl, of Gordon, of me, of some of the other people here? Would you be able to, as a twelve-year-old, to sit down and converse about God? Christ did. Oh, we say, well, he was God. That's the only reason, because God was with him all the time. I'm telling you, his parents spent a lot of time teaching him to do things God's way. He had a constant contact about that. He knew enough at 12 years old to be able to converse about what God has in mind. So 12 years old isn't too young. And he wouldn't be able to at 12 if he hasn't been learning a whole lot longer time than that. Second Timothy chapter 3. Twelve years old. Eight years old a king. Just a child became a prophet because he was taught and trained. Samuel, as a baby, weaned, just weaned from his mother, was taken and longed to God for the service of God and learned about the things of God. And how old is a weaned child? Two, three, four? Well, that might be four years old, but mostly three. Learning to do things God's way. Second Timothy 3, verse 14. But Paul speaking to Timothy, he says, But continue in the things which you have learned and have been assured of, knowing of whom you have learned them. Look back at the training that you've been given, the counsel the guidance, the direction, the leading to the right way. And that from a child you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in the Savior, Jesus Christ, the Emmanuel. Children, you can learn God's way. You can learn the Scriptures. If you can go to school and learn English and English grammar, and you can learn math, and they're trying to get some of the higher math, things that I learned in high school, they're teaching in grade school. If you can learn those things, you can learn the Scriptures. It's not a big deal. It's only a big deal is if you don't and are not acquainted with God. I'm telling you here right now, young people, that this knowledge that we have is not just your parents. God is not a God of your parents. He's your God too. Do you recognize it as a youth, as a child, as a teen, as a young adult? Do you recognize that God knows your thoughts? He knows your actions. He knows how much you've been taught and how much you have not been taught. And he also says, if you rebel and your parents are doing their job, he's going to hold you responsible. And I don't care if you're eight years old or five years old or 20 years old. He holds you responsible. 
He holds your parents responsible for not spending the time and saying, this is one of the most important jobs that I have, raising a child. But we've forgot that because we haven't been teaching that. My wife and I for years used to think the church of God lacks a lot of things on teaching their children about God. We ought to go to the Baptists and find out how they do it because their children know something about God and ours don't. We let them sit down there and play and not spend the time. We don't take the time on a daily basis to sit down and say, God is your God too. He knows your thoughts too. He loves you too. So whether you're five, fifty-five, a hundred and five, He's your God. He's our God. We heard them sing. He created everything. How great and wonderful, how marvelous our God is. He's done it all. Parents, do you love your children? God loves you. He spanks you. Do you correct your children? God spends the time on Sabbaths, on holy days, and if you get on your knees and you study your Bible, He spends the time. He says, you are so important to me as a parent that I'm going to teach you and I'm going to help you. As a parent, do we stand like God looking back at our children and say, I love you so much, I'm going to show you how much God loves you. And you put aside everything else to take the time with your children. If you're not, then you're shirking your responsibility. You have a major responsibility. Your children are on loan to you. God is going to require of you how you train your children. Children, you have to listen. If you make a mistake, God's put a place in a way of that. He says, there as I read yesterday in Acts chapter 3, he says, repent. Turn around. And he'll forgive you. He'll wipe the slate clean. I don't care what it is. Parents, do we teach our little children that if they've made a mistake, if they turn around, you forgive them? Or do we keep that, well, you've always done it. You're always a bad person. You're always making mistakes. You're always lying. You're always this. You're always that. Or do we, do we teach them the right way and then wipe that out when they repent? No, God, God has the capability to blot it out and never retrieve it back. He's got that capability. It's like having a computer and having something on it and hitting the delete button. It's gone. That's what he does with us. Do we do that with our children? Do we delete the mistakes when they have repented of them? Parents, you have a tremendous responsibility. Children, little children, you have a responsibility too. You can learn that God loves you just as much as he loves your parents. He's as much your God as he is your parents. Teenagers, God loves you too. He knows you. You have a responsibility too. If you make a mistake, turn around, repent, say, recognize your mistake and say, I'm not going to do that again. And when you've made the change, it's forgotten with God. And you parents, and for us as adults, as grandparents and great-grandparents, if we see that our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren have all repented and turned around, do we blot it out or do we retrieve that back again before we open that closet and bring it back out? Well, they've always done that. Did they repent? Are you a loving parent? Our children are on loan 
God expects a lot out of us. How will we do? How's our report card with God? Whether we're a child, whether we're a teen, whether we're a young adult, whether we're a middle-aged, whether we're an old person, whether we're a parent, grandparent, great-grandparent, or a child. What's our report card? God wants to know. Of course, He really knows. We need to know. How are we doing? Do we recognize the diamonds, the jewels that are right here under our feet? 